0: Can you dig it? know it's me it's diehard Derek Gordon I'm back here and thanks for joining us it's that midnight hustle and uh man we got another guest here for today I know you can see him let me let's just get right to it right all right I mean you remember him as Johnny B Bad you remember him as the wild man in WWE but right now he is known as the happiest man on the planet he is the (laughs) champion of choices the one and the only Mark Merrill man thanks give it up for the guy thanks for being here today, Mark. it sounds
1: like you're giving me a bunch of my money man (laughs) 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 <laughs> good to see you my friend
0: good to see you man I, you know it's funny because when, when I mentioned that Mark Merrill was that you were going to be on the podcast itself everybody's like man you gotta ask him these wrestling questions and I was like you know what we're gonna get there but in doing my research and seeing all your videos with champion of choices and the things that you've been doing in the last 15 or so years there's a lot more important things to talk about in the world right now than pro wrestling and I feel like with what's going on in the world, with, with everyone being so divided, with, with social media, with children being bullied, with, with um, just the pure ignorance of this ugly world that we live in. We need more guys like you to send out that positive message and talk about your experiences and how you change because you're not just a guy that's a millionaire and he was on TV and a celebrity and, oh man, everything's just cool in the gang for me. You've actually had your ups and downs. You have faced defeat pure defeat at rock bottom head on and you kicked out on two and you're here to tell that story and you're here to motivate and help other people i was going through your social media i saw that uh, a couple of days ago you had gotten i guess maybe it was a facebook uh memory of a girl who's on the verge of committing suicide and she saw your video your mother's day video which mark it brought me to tears i think of myself as a tough guy i'm from brooklyn but i was in tears watching the video, that Mother's Day video, and it meant so much to me. Tell us a little bit about Champion Choices. Tell us about the lives you've been saving and the impact that you've been having.
1: Oh, Derek. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You know, um, I started at uh, Champion Choices in 2007. So this is my 15th year speaking. Who'd ever think I'd be doing this longer than I wrestled? And uh, we, you know, we average about 230 events a year all through the, all, all over the country, U.S., Canada. And I mean, we went to Russia and spoke at schools in Russia. And two years ago, we were in Guatemala. So it's starting to go international. And it's just incredible. You know. Uh, I just, you know, I share from my heart. I think that's why I've really connected with students, especially the the high school age students, middle school, high school, and college students. Really connected with them on sharing my adversities. You know, being open and and, and forthright on stage, where I just talk about uh, things that have happened in my life, and and you know, we we all go through through hardships in life, and the loss of a loved one, uh, you know, broken heart, whatever it, it may be, but. It, What I learned in life, though, is it's not so much about my situation or circumstance. It was how I responded to it that made all the difference in my life. And, you know, I'll admit I was the guy that would get so mad and swear and throw my phone or kick a hole in the wall or something. I know many of us listening out there have been through this, you know. But, you know, it's the old saying uh, Dr. Phil would say, so how's that working out for you? You You're (laughs) right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's when I found a really different way to approach adversity in life and realize that so many others are going through it. And I started, I found that there was no greater joy than helping another person go through their adversity through my own experiences, you know, uh, drug addiction, you know, uh, uh, divorce, uh, you know, just um, making horrible decisions in, in life. And then, and then, you know, we all pass failure on the road to success in life. And you know, you know, they'll say it's not how many times you get knocked down; it's how many times you get right. back up. And um, I've been knocked down many times in life, and I've overcome so many obstacles and 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 things that I've gone through. So I share that on stage. Uh, I share about the death of my little brother and sister; they both died at 21. My mom was only 58 when she died, and my father died while I was holding him in my arms. So I've seen so much tragedy in my life, but every day I, you know, I wake up and I, I look up and I'm so thankful for this opportunity that I have each day to make a difference.
0: You know, Mark, it's funny because I see you going to all these schools and talking to, to children, high schoolers and so on and so forth. And I want to touch on that definitely. But I mean, there are adults who need your help as well. Have you gone that route? I mean, you know, we, you talk about divorce, you talk about drug addiction, um, things that you've been through, things that a lot of men, because, you know, men are built a different way where we're not supposed to show pain, we're supposed to stand tall. But on the inside, we're being destroyed and eaten apart, whether it's by family or, or by marital affairs or drugs or anything, those demons that just grab a hold of you. What What do you do for adults that are in need of your services as well?
1: You know, I was blessed to speak to the, uh, the FBI at the FBI convention, you know, 2,500 oh, wow. FBI agents, you know, um, I speak to community events where it's mostly uh, adults that come to these. And so I really, and that's, that's a, a little bit different presentation because I can share about more uh, adult themed things that we go through. And especially, you know, many of us have gone through this, this pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, our, our lives kind of, we like many of us to remember yeah. that, you know, when we first you know, stop going to work or when life changed. For mm-hmm. me, it was March of, March of uh, 2020. Yeah, same here. Where you know, I was doing a presentation for the, the sheriff's department. And, you know, there was so much rumbling and rumors and everything going on about, and you're seeing on TV about this, right. this virus coming and things are gonna have to stop. And that was my last live presentation until just a few weeks ago, I spoke at a, uh, on Father's Day, I spoke at okay. a church in, in uh, Atlanta. And uh, so it felt so good to get back up there and out there again. But I've been doing virtual events mm-hmm. and virtual events are wonderful. We get so many messages and letters and through social media, which I love getting. Um, but, you know, we, nothing like being live where you could see the interaction. You could see the, the audience uh, when I take them on the roller coaster of life. But mm-hmm. we'll get back to your question. You know, uh, adults need it just as much as, as the students do. And, you know, maybe even more sometimes because We've been beaten down for so much longer in life. Yeah.
0: I mean, they, 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 I've, I always tell people, I mean, again, with everything that's gone on the last year, you know, a lot of people with Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, um, uh, I don't want to talk politics, but just the, the divisiveness, just people just divided on their beliefs and their thoughts. And we need more positive people out there. And a couple of months ago, I'm watching this news program. And you know, in the beginning, the host will come on and he'll give his little presentation, setting up what he'll be talking about. But at the end, he gives a little synopsis and, and has a message that he wants to deliver. He'll take about 10 minutes. And this one really struck a chord because he said, life is pain management. And I couldn't agree with that more. Life is pain management. It's dealing with the, with the ups, the downs, the struggles, but at the end of the day, not giving up on yourself. And when I was doing my research, I saw this great shirt that you were wearing that said hope but it was broken down, hold on, pain ends. What kind of messages are you delivering to those out there who, are, who feel like they're hopeless?
1: you know I, I always found that even though when i went through my hardest times my darkest moments even suicidal thoughts at one yeah. point in my life that was so i was in such a dark place you know drugs and alcohol and just divorce and everything that went along with that you know and and when i just hung on to hope if you walk on, if you walk with hope in your heart you'll never walk alone and if you if you know at the at the end of you know if you have any testimony left it it's that you're still here and and don't give up and hold on the pain will end, and uh, you know and it, and, it, and sometimes it only ends for you know a, a short time. Then we go through another thing. I mean, like you said, it, it really is life is pain management. Use that
0: you know? if you need it.
1: <laughs> it, it here's a like, like I said earlier, you know, it, my my life's not perfect. We all go through stuff, you know. I don't care yeah. who you are, you go through stuff in life, you know. And my my heartbreak is is seeing, um, I, I take on a lot of people's pain because I, mm-hmm. I, I deal with a lot of people that are going through the loss of a loved one, you know, uh, especially COVID. I've known people that have died from COVID. You know, I think we all do it at this point, oh, yeah. you know, someone that's mm-hmm. really been affected by it, or, or I think we've all been affected by it in, in some way and some worse, a lot worse than others. Right. But I, I, I just want people to know that, that if you could just have hope in your heart, man, just just have some faith just uh you know it's it's almost like when you surround yourself i always tell people we become who we surround ourselves yeah. with um i we mentioned earlier before we got in the air you know ddp and i are, are great friends you know ddp also mm-hmm. and he's a real positive guy and we get together it's almost like we outpause each other you know it's, we have so much fun together because we're just encouraging each other because we both mm-hmm. have you know, different avenues that we've taken after the wrestling industry, sure. um, you know, his with helping a lot of uh, uh, adults through health and fitness through through yoga and his program and such an inspirational guy. And me, of course, with, with younger children with schools and stuff, but we we both love helping people. It's like, it, you know it's 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 so strange it's like you know in wrestling you go out there and you entertain people you know mm-hmm. and you kind of get mm-hmm. that and, and it, it comes it becomes kind of addicting you know yeah. And after wrestling you know and you see many wrestlers that have declined in in life because mm-hmm. you know sometimes they they needed that or or they've gone through some really hard times or f- fallen on hard times and, uh, you know, I still get to go out there with these schools and it's like, you still get to kind of entertain people, but I tell you the good thing, <laughs> nobody hit me over the head with a chair anymore. Not so <laughs> longevity,
0: <laughs> you know, you mentioned in, in that mother's day video, how you, how your mom loved you so much, but she was your number one supporter. And I feel like a lot of kids today because of social media, because of, you know, there's so many more negative influences that they have access to today. But like you said there, I'm that father and my wife is that mother who we'd go to my kid, every one of my kids uh, flag football games or basketball games and we're running down the line coaching them and cheering them on because I am their biggest supporter. But even now, even myself, I don't feel that, that kids understand the love of a parent and the importance <laughs> of that parental support. And I know that that's a big thing that you talk about because you turned your back on it when you were a teenager yeah. and you yeah. ended up in a position where you couldn't redeem yourself with a thanks to your mom before she had passed.
1: You know, Derek, we often take for granted the very things in life we should appreciate. And then mm-hmm. much, many times is that the love of our, our parents. Sure. Um, and, and And you know, the reason why that video has been, has become so popular and has been seen by millions and millions yeah. of people is because it really touches people on a heart level, you know, mm-hmm. and I cannot tell you how many thousands of letters I've received from students who um, you know, went home and told their mom they loved them and how sorry they were and re- rekindled or be re- rebuilt relationships. And then letters from parents, you know, I, I got the, this funny letter from a parent that said my daughter came from a school and she said she was she was being nice to her little brother and she said she wanted to start having dinner with with, with me and dad. <laughs> what the heck did you say? <laughs>
0: It's I, I've, I've been doing this and it's not so much because I was an asshole as, as a teenager. It's because I'm realizing now as an adult, I'm 46 years old. I look at my parents, they're in their seventies. I don't know how much time either one of us have left. And I want to cherish that time. I moved to Tampa, Florida. They came and followed so they could be around their grandkids. And I would see them maybe once a month. They're in the same neighborhood that I'm in, but I'd see them once a month and now I'm making the conscious effort. Hey, I love movies. You love movies. Let's make a movie night together. Let's find a, let's make reasons to see each other. Not that I need a reason to see my parents, but I want those. I'm a big advocate of time. And as they said, in the Avengers movie, no amount of money ever bought a second of time. And I want to spend as much time as I can with those that I love until, as opposed to having that regret later on when, when the the hourglass is run out of sand, um, But it's so, you know, it's easy for me to say that as an adult with experience and pain management under my belt. How do you convey that to children who right now are emotionally distant from the ones that they love and pushing them away and thinking that they are alone in this world when they're actually not and kids who have been bullied in school, not going to their parents, going to people for help and asking for that, taking that weight on their shoulders and then unfortunately taking their life into their own hands.
1: Yes, you know, one of the things that I really try to instill in, in the students is, is how valuable they are and how much they are loved, even though they may not even realize how much they are truly yeah. loved. And um, I found that, you know, that because of my story and the way I share my story, and of course, uh, the regrets I had of, of how I treated my parents and, and then both of them dying fairly young yeah. and going through that made me realize, you know, again, what you just said is how precious this time we have, you can make more money, but you you can't make more time. We all have a certain expiration, there's a certain day that we're all going to die. You know, I mean, every one of us, anyone listening out there, I promise you, you're going to die. Okay, you can, Google, you can Google it, you're going to die. Okay. But it's what we it's what we do with the time we have, you know, like, we're all going to leave a legacy, whether we like it or not, we're going to leave a legacy. And, and my legacy is not going to be you know how nice my house was or what you know what or wrestling or or um you know how much money i had or something my, my le- i want my legacy to be the difference i was able to make in someone's life mm-hmm. and really trying to get these kids to understand you know how precious this time is especially with your parents yeah. um, and how important that is and it, and it seems to be working because i tell you something we get we get booked up for these school events and um, it's just been it's been an incredible blessing in my life. Yeah,
0: you know it's funny. I, I listened to a podcast uh, a couple of months ago, and the actor Kiefer Sutherland is on it. And they says, "Well, Kiefer, you have anything? Last thing you want to say?" He goes, "Yeah." In the end, none of us make it out alive. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, dude, that was dark." <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's hard communicating with kids these days, and and I, I talk to my kids because of, of what happened when the insurrection happened, I was like, sit down and watch this. This is history in the making, not because you're gonna learn about it in school, but you, you, one day you're gonna to need to have an opinion about what you just witnessed. When the George Floyd thing happened, all the protests around, around the world, uh, around the country was happening. It's like, sit here, understand why it's happening. And I always go back, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson story with Chadwick Boseman, but there's a critical piece right there where, that, that deals with the ignorance of a father taking his maybe eight-year-old son to his first ever baseball game. And the kid's so happy. He's got the hot dogs, the Cracker Jacks. Um, and he's just there to see baseball. And Jackie Robinson gets up and the father gets up. and Get out of here, you N-word. Go back to the jungle. Oh. And the son looks up at his father and he's like, well, I guess that's the right thing to do. Yeah, get out of here, you N-word, blah, 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 blah. And... and I don't Um, think parents really realize the influence that they have on a developing mind of a child. When you put ignorance out there, now you turn, that's a future little ignorant little bastard that you're creating right there. What message would you have for, for, for parents, even single parents who, even in the struggles that that they don't take out that anger in the world and, and, and drop their, you know, their manifesto and, and on a developing mind.
1: The most influential person in a child's life is often their parent. Mm-hmm. And the, through anger or mean-spirited words or opinions mm-hmm. and things that can really adversely affect a student, I've seen it all the time because I get more letters from students um, when, when parents are fighting in the house, how it affects a child's yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, young ladies who often found men who, who, treated, who, who, who their father treated their mother terrible, and they end up with a guy who treats them terrible because that's what they were used to seeing. That's what they thought maybe was the was the way it is. That was just mm-hmm. the way it is, or whatever. And and it just breaks your heart. But we we've, we've got to be the an example. We have to be the role model for our children. And you know, I often tell you know these parents that say my kid is my best friend. and It's not about being the best friend. It's being the best parent, man. Yeah. Because you know you're, you when when you become a friend with somebody you know you you don't have that that authority that you need to discipline and to instruct properly you know mm-hmm. because you're the buddy you're the you you you're not serious are you you know well, he's charged <laughs> yeah and, and and we want we want to make we want to give our kids so much you know uh, you know mm-hmm. the thing that 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 often irritates me sometimes is when i hear a parent say you know i i don't want my kid to have to struggle like i struggled you know some of the the, the reason why we had work ethic we saw in our parents and our grandparents is because there was struggles in life. When things are just handed to you, you take things for granted. And like I said, the things we take for granted are often the things we should most appreciate in life. especially when you work for something or you earn something, it makes such a difference in your self-esteem and your growth in life.
0: You know, I struggle with that every day because And as ridiculous as it may sound, since I was four years old, for some reason, the thing I wanted to be most in the world was a dad. I've got great parents and I wanted to be one of my own. I was bullied. I had problems and not problems, but, you know, growing up in the hood, you run into some shit every now and then. Right. And I I just I wanted to do better for my kids. I, I wanted to give them the things that I didn't have. I spoiled them. I've got a 20-year-old daughter now and a 15-year-old son. And, you know, they're doing their own thing. But I'm feeling like I've tainted their growth because, like you said, I gave them too much. I didn't let them struggle. And there's times where I feel like it's backfiring in my face. But it comes to a point where teenage bullying is so huge right now that these kids don't understand. Maybe the reason why I wanted to be their friend was because I created two people. And I brought two people in the world that would love me unconditionally no matter what. But they don't understand that right now because they're still too young. So when they're being bullied by the outside, they don't come to me. They try to deal with themselves. They go to these dark places. What message do you have for teens out there who feel like they have nobody to talk to?
1: Well, you you hit the nail right on the head is communication is absolutely the most important thing. You know, I meet so many parents that have lost their child to suicide or drug overdose. And, and I often hear the same thing, you know, if he or she only would have told me or would have came to me, you know, because we often think that we can't go talk to our parents about what I'm going through, what I'm feeling. And, you know, and I, and, and sometimes the, the kid's right. Maybe the parent just gets upset go, oh, come on, just suck it up or whatever, which is was, which is wrong because you gotta have open discussion. And we, we gotta, you know, we gotta start turning off the cell phones at, at the at the dinner table, you know this 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 smartphone right here has outsmarted us, okay? Because we we, we often will talk to someone we don't even know or even care about at the expense of not even uh, interacting with our own families. But when you have those times with your families, you know, have open discussion. You know, parents. Uh, bring the discussion to your child, you know, you know, and, and not even ask them if they're a boy, but just go, do you ever see kids being bullied in school? And that's an easy way to get them. To go. Oh, yeah, I see it all the time where they're really talking about themselves, right? And then it's an easy way to get into the discussion. Well, did you ever see or did, you ever, did anybody ever do to you? And all of a sudden, that, 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 um, communication opens mm-hmm. and it gets, and it can get deeper and deeper. And then you can find out, you know, so many of these kids that are self-harming, you know, we see these Uh-oh. kids that have cut themselves or, right. you know, or mutilated their bodies and their parents don't even know about it. Cause they don't even, they don't, they don't even check. They're not, they're not intertwined with their life enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, situations now, and and, you know, our generation is is a little bit different only because, you know, we grew up in that generation where everybody's booming, but, you know, families didn't stay together. And I feel like now, especially with the advent of social media, that kids are too distracted to listen to their parents, but then parents are too distracted because they're trying to find somebody to live their life happy with because they made mistakes 20 years ago. Now they're a single mom or a single dad and they've got 14 children. They got nobody to help them raise them. They're like, look, I don't have time to handle you because I'm still working on me. And I'm telling you that this, this whirlwind of a cycle that we're going through, like people just need to get better. And, and like your mom, I tell you, man, every night I refuse to go to bed until I know my kids are back home. Yeah. They go out. I've got a 20 year old. She'll go out and hang out till two in the morning. I'll stay up till two in the morning. I won't go to bed yeah. till I know that they're home and that they're safe.
1: You know, Derek, in that, in that video, I often talk about that with my friends. Now we get all stoned and high and stuff and yeah. we come home drunk and, And my mom would be sitting in the living room and she used to knit, you know, she always wouldn't Mm -hmm. be knitting and she would, she wouldn't go to bed until I got home. But I I can remember so many times when my mom would ask me, Hey, Mark, can I, can I talk to you? And I would often blow her off. I'm going to bed. Let me alone. You know, I think now about, you know, how, how important those talks could have been in my mom's life. You know, she was, uh, you know, a, a single mom at that time and depressed and, I can't imagine what she was going through being so alone all the time and only hope her son would talk to her, you know? And if if there's students or people out there or even adults that that are hearing my voice, you know, just a a phone call, stop by, say hello to someone. You have no idea how much it means to someone. They may not not act like it does, but trust me. I I think about so many times of things that I could have done better in my life. And that's why I it's really it's instilled in me now on how how important it is and 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 why I'm so um adamant to young people about um relationships with their families. Sure, sure.
0: Well let, let's talk about relationships as you got older because obviously you've had your ups and downs. Um your life split out of control even when you were at the height of your career, had a betrayal by your wife. There's a lot of guys out there who have encountered that. I've had that problem in my life. It's ironic because in doing my research, I saw the things that you had gone through and I saw that you even committed, you thought about committing suicide on Christmas 2004. I was going through a divorce and on Christmas Eve 2004 is when we put it back together. And it's so funny how we have so many parallels, but I don't think, you know, the same way a man doesn't understand the pain that a woman goes through by giving childbirth. I don't think anybody can understand the pain that a man goes through when he's been betrayed by the person he loves the most. How did you get through that? And where did it put you? How deep did it put you where you had to climb back out and find yourself again?
1: You know, it, it was devastating. And, you know, the the, the amazing thing about it and, and the, the gift you have of forgiveness is probably the greatest gift you can ever have in life. And I have no animosity, no no there's not even upset i mean we we got a great daughter right our daughter's mariah and she's 30 it's gonna be 34 now wow <laughs> yeah and uh you know she just was here a couple weeks ago uh she stayed a week with me here in um um in uh, atlanta with my granddaughter and uh we had the, the absolute best time but you know i i just have no and and, and right now um you know, it's one of those things where, when you go through it, it feels like the end of the world. It feels like you don't even want to be here no more. And I remember, I got out of shape, I was drinking and partying again. Um, I, I was just miserable in my life, you know. And then, then, then th- th- that happened, and um, I just, I, I just felt like I didn't want to be here. It was Christmas Day, and I just felt like I wanted to end it all. But it was through my faith that really, when I talked earlier about walking. If you have hope right. in your heart, you'll never sure. walk alone. It was a little bit of faith because when you're at the end of the rope, you only when there, there's God. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm telling <laughs> you, He was there for me. And I didn't even know what I was going to do in my life because, you know, it's through the divorce and the housing crunch and the financial crunch and everything I went through. Uh, most of my money was gone. So I was, I was, I, so I had to get a job as a personal trainer at a gold's gym. Wow. And it was really weird because um, people would come into Gold's Gym and they'd see me. They're like, "Mark Merrill, what are you doing here?" And it's like, uh, "I work here." <laughs> you know? And they're like, what <laughs> and not that?" To, believe me, I don't mean to demean anyone that is a no, person. Considering where
0: you uh, were at those to where you those were, it was one of the
1: greatest jobs I ever had because I had, mm-hmm. I, I really got to get my people in, in amazing conditioning and shape sure. and have fun with people. But, um, anyways, to, to 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 make a long story short, was forgiveness was the one thing that that really changed my life. Was coming to a place where I I was totally totally forgive forget you know forgive that person and move on in my life. So, and then people say to me, well, how do you know when you've forgiven someone? And for me, I'll tell you, it's when they mention that person's name and you don't get angry anymore. Yeah. And and that's when you realize, wow, I've really gotten over that because a lot of times you mention someone's name that hurts you, you're like, son of a young. you get all mad and your face gets all cranked up. I mm-hmm. can't stand that. But yeah. when you get to the point where you can just say, man, I just wish them the absolute best, you know? And and I do, I mean, I my my ex has got uh, two children with Brock and they're mm-hmm. happily married and they're doing great. And God bless them, man, you know? But yeah. I, I think back about that, if she never left me, all the doors that opened in my life probably would have never happened. Sure. I mean, I never, I never thought of being an inspirational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go through <laughs> stuff to become that. <laughs> But yeah, you in,
0: in your case, though, I mean, you found forgiveness. I think that's the hardest part in, in my situation. Um, you know, the minute that it happens and you find out you're in complete OJ mode, like get the knife, get the gloves. Where we're, going, <laughs> where we're going to bury the bodies. But then as you go along, you really start to deconstruct how you got there after you pick yourself up off the floor. And sometimes you got to take ownership yeah. and accountability of your part in it what did i do anything to push it away did i did i see the signs is it all on her is it all on me um but finding forgiveness is the hardest part and then when you finally find it it kind of validates all the pain that you went through to make you a better person because you know that to never feel that numbness again you'll never have to make those mistakes again at what point how much time did it take you to find that forgiveness and find that inner peace
1: You know, it was, it was actually for me, it was a little different because it happened right away. Uh, Once I, once I really, I got on my knees that day that I wanted to end my life and just, I was begging God just to, to change me. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. my whole life. I was always trying to change everybody else. You should do this. You should love me more. You should, (laughs) whatever it would be, you know? And, but when you realize that you're the person that needs to change, everything around you starts to change. And when I asked God for forgiveness and got on my knees, I mean, the, I often say the tallest I've ever stood was that day I got down on my knees. I felt like a different person, and mm-hmm. and I knew we'd never get back together, you know. But it was like now I just want to forgive her and wish her the best in life. And uh, there was no no arguing when we went through our divorce. We we just agreed we split everything and we went our own ways, and everything was great. There was not. I, we didn't, I, I mean, our lawyers didn't even make any money. <laughs> we, <laughs> Good. They don't need we, it. We really, we really just came to a point where it was like just a, a yeah. amicable divorce. And um, you know, we, we've lived peacefully all, all this, all this time, you know, and um, but I, I know that going through it, it's a horrible, horrible thing because you become a different person, you know, like the person that you, You know who you are, you know, maybe a a loving, funny, whatever, happy person, you know, all of a sudden you become this anger, angry, bitter, resentful, you know, and you can't go through life like that. Yeah, Man, that's why you have peace in your heart when you Mm -hmm. are able to forgive and move on not live with resentment and bitterness in your heart because you, you can't. It's not a fun life, you know. Now I have a fun life. That's why I wrote a book, How to Be the Happiest Person on the Planet. And, you know, that book was 10 years ago. And if I could write a book now, something more important than being happy is being content. Because happiness comes and goes, man. Yeah. I don't care who you are, you know, but 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 when you're able to be content or or be calm in the in the midst of a storm, you know, when something terrible happens. People come to me and go, Mark, you won't believe what happened. Me. I go, just calm down. T- just talk to me. What happened? Let's, let's discuss it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a much calmer spirit now and, yeah. and understanding. So when bad things do happen to me in my life, I'm able to look at it a little differently and know I'm going to get through it because one, Derek, one of the worst things that we do, and, and especially men, you know, is we tend to think of worst case scenarios. You know, we think about, Oh my gosh, if this is going to happen, and especially if we got kids, you know, what is it? Uh, my mm-hmm. daughter's got in a car accident today, why isn't she called, you know? Or we go to worst case scenarios and oftentimes those worst case scenarios never happen, you know? Yeah. And we often beat ourselves up or we go through so much anxiety or depression because we always think of the worst case scenarios. And I've learned how to start thinking of of best case scenarios in all different situations in my life. Um things that I hope are going to happen in my life, I think positive about things. And, and a, a positive attitude has really helped me. My faith in God has really changed the person that I am today. I, I look at the old Mark, you know, and I think about, man, I I would have divorced me. <laughs> I would have cheated on me. <laughs> what the hell? You had better cheekbones than her
0: anyway. That's what she loved. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, when, when you, I, and I, I'm, listen, I'm guilty. Worst case scenario all the time, because I'm always trying to plan to avoid it. But do you feel like maybe looking at the best case scenario or, 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 or leaning on that best case scenario usually fuels disappointment if it doesn't happen?
1: You know, well, let's, let's look at the other side, too. You know, we go to worst case scenario and then it doesn't happen. There's a, there you, there's a relief going, oh, my gosh, thank goodness she's, she's safe or whatever the, the, the thing is. But we often put ourselves and our loved ones through the same anxiety mm-hmm. because they see us stressed out. So I I don't want people to see me stressed or hurting or, or um, worrying all the time. You know, it it just saps today of your energy, man, you know, and it it never changes anything. So, you know, I I, I just think that I, you know, it's not necessarily best case scenario, but Mm -hmm. you know, everything's going to be okay. You know,
0: fair enough. That's a good one.
1: You know, just, just things are going to be okay, man. We're going to get through this. In you know, fun- you, know we've been, we, you and I have both been through some very difficult situations in our life. Mm-hmm. And so when we think of worst case scenarios, we've seen some worst case scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But here's the thing. We got through. We yeah. moved on. Life is good, you worst know. And really. it will be. if worst case scenarios does, does come again, life is going to be good again. And we're
0: prepared. For- yeah. Yes. Absolutely. In finding that forgiveness, did you need or feel the need to have a one-on-one with Brock to ask why, man-to-man? And just to clear the air with him?
1: No, no, I didn't. I've, I've never spoken to him. I mean, I, I met him one time when when um, when uh, Sable first went back to wrestling. Okay. I came to watch her perform, and uh, she introduced to, me to him backstage. Mm-hmm. And uh, but never, n- obviously, never knowing anything mm-hmm. until later on. But I've never seen him or talked to him, okay. or, or or felt the need to. He doesn't. He doesn't know me anything. You know, I don't. I don't need an apology. I mean, it's, you know, for me. My forgiveness is is whole. You know, I, I ask God for my forgiveness in my life and I forgive them whether they accept it or not. I, I, I don't even know or or or, you know, I, I've given it and it's up to them to accept it.
0: Looking back after all that's gone down and, you know, I, I'm sure at the moment it was different. But looking back now, you kind of glad that Xbox shit in her bag? Like, you know, back then, it was like, what's that smell? But now you're like,
1: you know, you know what? If I would
0: have known, I would have shit in your bag myself.
1: <laughs> the funny thing is, 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 is uh, X-Pac and I have, have spoken through social media <laughs> about that. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that. Because after the, after the arena match, it was in England. Uh-huh. And uh, we were driving. The The car was taking us back to... We, we, we had a, a little a van that picked us up to taking me and uh, Rena back to our hotel. Mm-hmm. And at first... Of all, what is that smell? She goes, I don't know. I smell it too. And we kept like, you know, is a, is a driver, you know, farting? Or what's <laughs> yeah, the deal, man? It was horrible, you know? And then uh, she kept sniffing around and then finally she realized it's coming from her bag. And when she opened it up, uh, there it was. Yeah. Know, <laughs> Great
0: stories, man. I know, I you know. know man. I, it, like I can laugh
1: about it now. I never got Now to- we can't. <laughs> I never, you know, it was like just at the time, it's like yeah. so disgusting, but now you look back oh. And, and well, the funny thing, you see my reaction. Dude. I'm that
0: spiteful dude that, like, oh, yeah, right. leave your bag on. I'm going to shit in it. Watch. <laughs> Dare me to do it. It's going to get done. Don't worry about it. So. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, they always say, don't bring your wife into the wrestling business. And I never she came to me with a couple of shows that I was working or promoting or whatever the case was but it, as far as getting her involved it was something that I was I was like yeah never going to happen i don't want her around the boys or anything like that while you were there before you know while you were still on good terms with Sable um, you were watching the, deterior- the deterioration of her arch nemesis Sonny and Chris Candido did that raise any flags in your head of what Sonny was doing with Shawn Michaels behind Chris's back. And you're like, you know what, maybe this isn't a good idea for me to have my wife here with me. Maybe I should reconsider this.
1: You know, Derek, I I look at all the paths I took and obviously I made a a million mistakes in my Mm -hmm. life, you know, but I look at all the different paths I took and I I wouldn't want to go back and change anything only because all those paths, they led to where I am today and the man I am today. So, you know, good or bad, you know, maybe something would have changed then. But, you know, um, when I first brought, you know, when Vince McMahon wanted me really badly from WCW at that time. And uh, I got the first guaranteed contract because I wouldn't go unless I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, what else is it gonna take? And I said, I want a signing bonus. And we came to a very fair number that I got a great big signing bonus. And he said, what else is gonna take? And he goes, <laughs> I said, I'd like my wife to travel the world with me, you know? And he goes, oh my gosh, because I've never, never heard that before. I go, yeah, I just, um, you know, I've seen too many divorces in the business. And I, I just got married a couple of years ago and I don't want to, I don't want to lose my wife because I know I'm going to be traveling a lot more with the WWF as opposed to WCW. Mm -hmm. And he agreed to it. Now I said to him, then I said, why don't you make her my valet? since she's gonna be traveling with me anyways. And he said, oh, no, no let's just worry about you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then he, he when he sent me a, a plane ticket to come up to uh, Stanford to go, start going up the creative of what character I was gonna be and how they were going to market me or whatever. So he sent me a plane ticket and I said to him, I called him up and I said, there's only one plane ticket here. I go, my wife flies everywhere I fly. He goes, just to sign a contract? And I said, yes. So like we really want to sign this guy to pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, I can't believe he even <laughs> so agreed to having me there, you know? Uh, cause I had a huge, I had the same deal at WCW. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, when we flew in and, and they, they picked us up when Vince first saw Rena Sable, um, he said, wow, I gotta put her on TV. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And then we chose the name Sable and mm-hmm. the rest is history. Yeah, man.
0: You know, bring bringing your wife on the road with you didn't make you a popular guy backstage.
1: No, And you know, never, never, and I never even realized that. You until, didn't think of it. Well, you know, I started realizing, like, see, when I was at WCW, we had that camaraderie with the guys. So we were traveling right. together. Right. We're hanging out. We're always doing stuff. We're having fun. We're playing ribs on each other. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just with my wife. So I didn't get to know a lot of the new guys that I never worked with before mm-hmm. at WWE and never really developed friendships you know and never went out with them after or hung out with them or anything like that and and that's why i I think a lot of people thought how aloof i was but you know i'm just there with my wife you know yeah it was it it really was a business for us you know we Mm -hmm. and that's why it was so easy to be the fall guy for her because i'm getting a guaranteed contract i'm getting paid the exact same amount whether i win or lose or get beat up by sable you know Mm -hmm. it didn't matter to me to us excuse me at that time so um uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, she ruined your career. And, and you know, when you let her sable bomb you and, and I was going to be working with Steve Austin on top mm-hmm. and, and that ended that. And so um, and but like I said, we didn't care because we just knew that we're you know, they're, they're backing up the Brinks truck to our house at the time, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, it, it goes back to what, what what your job is now you know, with the champion of choices, even adults for for victim to becoming, uh, you know, to, to peer pressure especially in the workplace or in the entertainment business. Here you are, a man saying, look, I want my wife to work with me so I don't get in trouble so that that I can keep my relationship together so she travels with me, so she knows that I come home to her every night even if it's a hotel room. The boys didn't get that. Made your life miserable over there. Didn't make any friends. Talking shit behind your back. Ah, he's too good for us. He's got a guaranteed contract. He's got his wife here. At that time, or looking back now, hindsight being twenty twenty. How would you have dealt with that peer pressure? How would you have balanced the work and life balance?
1: You know, the one thing that, when I look back at my career, the thing I was not very good at, and I can admit this, was I was not very political. Um, Mm. Some guys are really good at behind the scenes of, of jockeying and positioning themselves, you know? And and everything I got was it was because I, ne- I never fought for something I, in other words when they said you're gonna you're gonna win the Intercontinental title and win the whole tournament beating Stone Cold Steve Austin mm-hmm. Owen Hart uh, Ron Simmons uh, that wasn't me uh, politicking them and the saying hey you should give the Bimby right. the belt or something that was them thinking that this guy's got what it takes you mm-hmm. know but when you have a lot of guys that don't want to work with you or help you it can make your life miserable and it was tough there were times where. I remember that you know being a always being a well-liked person and then all of a sudden going you know you walk in the lunchroom and you're sitting alone with your wife and no one's talking to you and yeah it was uh it was uh it was sad it was, there was times i felt just really sad you know that that because always growing up being a well-liked guy and being mm-hmm. in sports and doing things and. And then all of a sudden, not having friendships there, you know,
0: or finding a way to fit in with the new crowd. It yeah. Yeah. Through.
1: Or, or, you know, be, and then the guys that I did, uh, really gel with, like, uh, guys that had families, you know, guys mm-hmm. that would want to talk about their families and sure. that were really nice to me. And, 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 um, I always I'm grateful for that.
0: You know, you, you come from a place of strength now. You had that IC title run, it didn't last too long. It was only maybe a month or two. Yeah, Vince pushing. He puts a jetpack on you with all that confidence. We're gonna build you up. You got the first guaranteed contract, the signing bonus. Your wife is with you. Here's the strap. Go do what you do. Then they're like, you know what? We're gonna take that off. We're gonna put it on another guy. Now, how do you deal with the confidence level there? Especially when they had the confidence in you, they take the belt of like, shit. Do they have confidence in me now? How did that that beat you up mentally, and how did you overcome it?
1: yeah you know that was really tough not, not so much them taking the strap away but but mm-hmm. but them losing the confidence in you that you're like I, I remember from the first matches they put me against to defend my 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 title if i can remember correctly um uh, it was like a, a wrestling the fake razor or the fake diesel ah, yeah you know and and it was it was a it was a horrible time but i just remember that the matches were not very good and um you know, whether, you know, and, and I'll take ownership of it too, you know, mm-hmm. not, not maybe putting together the best matches or whatever it would be, you know, but I, it wasn't for a lack of trying. I really wanted to do well. And um, unfortunately we couldn't, you know, Vince really wanted that Johnny B bad character. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they gave me the wild man, Mark Merrill character, it was, I was really like, Johnny that was so outrageous it was just a fun character to play you know I could yeah. say anything and get away with it you know what I mean mm-hmm. but wild man Mark Merrill was like who am I what am I my what funny? is it yeah what am I you yeah. know and and I and I just remember that it was just I, I never connected with it and therefore the fans never connected with it so mm-hmm. that's when they turned me into you know the old boxing the marvelous Mark Merrill where I was just a bad guy and making you know demeaning sable all the time and that got over because it was you know, they loved her, and anyone right. that was mean to her, they're going to hate. So heat. that worked perfect. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, it's it, it's a situation where where if you look back at the Johnny B. Bad character, clearly you're not African American. But how do you think the Johnny B. Bad character would they consider a blackface today in 2020 in the woke culture?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I never thought of that, but uh, <laughs> you know it was funny because you, I cannot tell you how many people thought I was black back then. Remember, I, I would tan quite a bit too, yeah, to yeah. stay really dark, to stay with the little mm-hmm. richer character. And, um, you know, um, who knows what, what would have happened if that character, maybe would never even be able to come out today because of, mm-hmm. of them thinking I'm trying to you know portray, um, yeah. blackface or whatever you want to call it, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, to this day, I mean, I, I spoke in school, uh, la- uh, right before the pandemic happened. And, uh, uh, teacher said, "What was your What was your name when you first wrestled?" I said, "Well, I started as a character called Johnny B. Bad." She goes, "Johnny B. Bad? That was a black guy." And I said, "No, no, that was <laughs> no, no, I <that> was, I <laughs> <laughs> <That> was, really- <laughs> you know, it's and it's funny because one of some of my biggest fans were, were African Americans, yeah, you know, yeah, now, it, It's crazy
0: because I mean, uh, maybe ten, maybe fifteen years ago, a uh, great movie. I don't know if you ever seen a Tropic Thunder, but Robert Downey Jr. plays it plays a, a yeah, method actor." Yeah who undergoes a procedure to taint, uh, to tint his, his skin color, to play a black role can never happen. He got nominated for an Oscar for that. Couldn't do it today. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, if, if you were to come in, you're like, man, bring back Johnny B. Bad. Like, eh, I don't know if that's a good idea
1: right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's sad. You know, we're, 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 this is the thing is we're, we're in such a divisive um, political place now, this mm. country. And it just breaks your heart because it's, it now becomes family against family, you know, friend against right, friend. Right. You know, if you're this or you don't believe this way, or everybody wants tolerance, but they don't want to be tolerant of your own of of having your own beliefs. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. It's just a it's a really difficult situation that we've we've got ourselves into, and um, I, I, it just it's heartbreaking to be honest yeah. with you. You know, I, I,
0: you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. It, it, it's a melting pot of everything. Yes. For the life of me i don't know how to be racist i'm yeah. puerto rican i grew up with blacks asian indian why i mean you name it i don't understand the concept and and eric holder said this a, a while ago i mean and, and i know it's a common term but he always he says we are one people that's it it doesn't matter your color your ethnicity your religion your, you know it doesn't matter your sexual orientation it's just a matter of we're people we're the human beings we're species why do we treat each other like this? Why do we go to war with each other over the smallest shit in the world? I mean, it's it's mind blowing. But again, in, in this culture today where our leaders have the propaganda and, and the rhetoric of just go of pitting us against each other for their own good and not ours, we need more of your positivity and more of your messages. But speaking of politics, I have to ask you one question. It is wrestling related, not, not real politics. I heard that on your first day in WCW, you almost threw hands with the natural bout tree.
1: <laughs> Is that true? Yes. What, what, what happened was, I need, please tell yeah, me. Yeah, It wasn't a great start for me. Okay. Okay. Um, what happened was uh I would drive. Um I, I some of the boys from the, the gym I was working at would, would be the guys that would get beat up on television. Now remember, I just started wrestling. I only had All a couple right. of matches in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And um we drive nine hours to get to center stage in Atlanta from Venice, Florida. And uh, it was guys like uh I don't know if you remember uh, Rob Ryder and and um Bob Cook and uh some other guys that were um Robbie idol. Uh there were some you know guys that were great wrestlers, but yeah. they were the guys that got beat up on television, you know. Yeah, and the so enhancements
0: these, for like Saturday night, right?
1: Yeah, so okay. they would they would ask me if I wanted to go and and, and I eventually did go and um uh it was they chose me to be one of the guys in a tag team match against doom, you know, world tag team yeah. champion. My first match is there, you know? And so they told me that what the finish was, they pick you up on your shoulder and they, they clothesline you off the top rope and you hmm. flip and they pin you one, two, three and, and so on. So uh, in, in the match though, uh, when I was in there with Butch Reed, um, I was, you know, he threw me down I was kind of crawling around and he started kicking me. And I mean, really laid them in. Like everything they did was laid him in. But you know, I'm a tough guy. So I, I, yeah. I could take it. it. wasn't much of a problem. So um, what happened was when they finally did the pin, one, two, three. Now, thinking that this is a television taping, even though it's not live, I thought I got to get out of the ring soon so they could have their moment, you know, raise their mm-hmm. arms. So I didn't realize I was supposed to be just laying there. Anyways, I rolled out of the ring right after they pinned me. And Butch Reed was livid. Now when you're now when you're in, there's two dressing rooms. There's kind of like the superstars dressing room and then the other guys that are everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in that dressing room. And, and it was customary for the stars to come over and like shake your hand and say, hey, thanks for the match. And just a nice thing that they would do, sure. you know. So they came over. Um Ron Simmons came over and he goes, Hey, thanks for the match. You know, and then Butch comes storming and then he just started, you mother effing. And he was just hot. Mm-hmm. I go, I go, I, and I and I profusely apologize i go i am so sorry man i didn't realize right. and like f you f you and then it gets to a point where you just go no f you you know <laughs> and we squared up and and uh it was uh sid vicious that actually got in between us and
0: oh get okay yeah
1: and then said hey hey cool he's cool he yeah. told uh, butch reed i was cool and and then and then sid um the next time we had center state uh center stage tv taping mm-hmm. sid worked it so i got to work with him which was basically getting close line office oh that's it burning after he kills you, you know? <laughs> you're like
0: but leave him alone i need him for next week <laughs>
1: Oh, so those oh, were, but, but you know what? He, he's really a nice guy too, and God bless yeah, yeah. his soul. You know, I no animosity towards anyone. No, he, no, you're often in a heated moment. You yeah, know, and that's for, the
0: thing. Like, like day one, do you play the the locker room politics? Like, oh
1: my bad, it was, yeah. it was
0: all on me. I, I did it. I did, it. but you stood up for yourself, and shout out to you. I'm glad. I'm glad you did that.
1: Yeah, be, it, a, it was right stuff. after that that Dusty Rhodes pulled me aside and said to me. Hey, kid, anybody ever tell you to look like Little Richard? And that's how the whole Johnny B. Babbage came from started. there. OK, yeah. Okay. So it was amazing how yeah. something so bad, because I never thought I'd ever get called back to come again. Right. Once they right. knew that, I got an argument with with one of their stars. Mm-hmm. Why would they use me? You know, and uh, it, it turned out to be, the you know, a great, great thing for me that Dusty Rhodes gave me that opportunity.
0: Now you, we had mentioned before, you know, your, your childhood was a little bit of ups and downs. You get to WCW and I believe you were roommates with Van Hammer. And known yes. for a party guy. I mean, what kind of trouble did you get in with this guy? Did he bring you back to the dark side for a moment?
1: <laughs> you know, there's certain stories I won't share, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we did get in some trouble. Yes. Okay. We did. We did, We did get in trouble, but I don't blame him. You know, I, mean, I make my own decisions. In oh, my yeah, life, well, you know? yeah. And unfortunately I got back into the the drugs, Mm. and I started missing shows, and I mean missing like not even showing up. Right. And I remember uh, Dusty Rhodes called me into his office at C. I had I had to drive down the CNN tower. He said I want to have a meeting with you, and I'll never forget. Now, before I even tell you the story, the great Mm. some of my greatest memories was with Dusty Rhodes because he taught me how to be the Johnny B. Bad character. He would walk up to that microphone and he'd say i'm so pretty i should have born a little girl And he goes now you do it and we get laughing so hard derek i'm telling you that there's some of my fondest memories was watching dusty Rhodes be be johnny be bad and what a
0: mentor though man the, yeah. the american and, and dream
1: so so you know he'd come to a lot of the shows early with me mm-hmm. and work with me and help me because he knew i was so green you know sure but it was not getting back to the story now um, I come into Dusty's office, you know, and you can see the look on his face, how dejected he is. I just missed uh, you know, two shows and and didn't call in because I was strung out, you know. And I'll never forget. He said, Kid, I made you and I can break you. Ooh. If you miss one more show, you're you're out of WCW. So and you I go
0: thought, from Johnny like, B bad to Johnny B gone.
1: You know, yeah, but but it wasn't, you know, it was. The thing that changed me was to see him so hurt i'll never forget how bad i felt not for missing the shows but for hurting him mm-hmm. you know and uh i really try to change my ways you know i'd still go out and party on weekends and stuff and when i could but i, I never missed another show um, because of not wanting to ever hurt that guy i just loved him that much
0: it's, it sounds like, like you, you looked at him almost as a father figure and you disappointed your dad and like, hey, dad, listen, I'm going to go out and do my thing as a teen or as a rookie or whatever I am at the moment. But I promise you, I'm not going to disrespect you. I'm going to hold up to my responsibilities, do my job. I'll be home before midnight, you know, and I feel like you learned your lesson at that point.
1: Derek, he gave me the break of a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, remember, I was building, I was digging swimming pools. I was making 23 grand a year digging swimming pools, you know? Oh, uh, they'd go into the big backhoe and I'd be the guy with the shovel and shape it, you know? Yeah, and it, yeah. was, it was horrendous work. This guy gave me the break of a lifetime, you know? Um, everything, all the paths that that came after that, you know, was all because Dusty Rhodes put me on this one path, you know? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah,
0: man. Un- unbelievable, man. You've had a hell of a journey and a hell of a ride. I mean, we, we can chop it up all day long. One quick question, though, while you're talking about your your struggles as a teenager... I never knew you were dealing cocaine at a young age. What kind of gangster shit did you see?
1: Oh, did like, man. I
0: mean, you, you, you watch movies now, like, look, I got a brick over here. What were you involved in? How deep were
1: you into uh, this? D- deep, you know, it's funny because I, I don't often... Talk about it. it's not because I, I don't want to, it's because oh, it doesn't usually so. get brought up, you know, uh-huh. and it's not nothing bad because obviously that's just pet, no, it's but you just seem like that. such a
0: cool and so such a lifestyle I yeah, I would buy no, cocaine from you
1: right now because we you're so cool we were, and I don't even use uh, it. <laughs> uh, this craziest thing, man, we were bringing kilos from uh, we'd meet the Colombian in Miami and then we would oh. we'd bring them from Miami to New York, and uh, it was, uh, it was a crazy life I lived for a while. And that was right before wrestling, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so I already had that, you know, cocaine (laughs) fetish, even when I got into wrestling, and then I got got off it for quite a while. And then, of course, went back to it. And just like many drug addicts struggled with it and went back and forth. And now it's been um, 18 years clean that I on. 2003 was the last time I touched any drugs. So I'm, I'm just blessed to say that.
0: I heard you say, I don't know if it was in one of your speeches that they raided your mom's house.
1: They did, and you know wow. what? My mom, oh, this, this, this is a, a crazy story, and I don't know if I've ever shared this on, on, if anyone's ever, if I shared the whole thing, but what happened was we were bringing us some kilos in from, um, from uh, Florida to New York, and we sent them FedEx. You know, back then it was a lot easier to, to send mm-hmm. drugs, and we sent it FedEx, and uh, the cops obviously intercepted it or whatever, And uh, I was in my mom's house. I was in, oh, before I tell you that though, my mom, the reason why we we went to my mom's house was she um, uh, was getting married and she wanted me to meet her fiance. I never met him before. So I walk in, I meet him, we shake hands, we hug. I'm going, thank you so much. My mom talks about you all the time. It's so great to meet you. He goes, man, your mom talks about you all the time. And it's like back and forth, you know? And we were just like so happy. He's the greatest guy, man, you know? And uh, so I go downstairs in the basement and I got something for my head that I carried on the plane with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started partying down by myself until my buddies were were supposed to come over and pick me up to go to the clubs. And all of a sudden, I I heard a helicopter. It was like really close, like, wow, this helicopter's flying low. Next thing I know, the doors, the windows, they're all just smashed. And they just kick in the, 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 the front door they put guns to my mom and her, her, her um, fiance's head. to get them on the floor, they put them in handcuffs. My little brother is just a little kid then. And um, they put him on the floor too. And the next thing I know, I knew they were in the house. So I went right over to the, the sink and I started getting rid of what I had, some of the stuff just I had. Right I, couldn't, I couldn't get rid of all of it. So I put it in a pocket of a sweat jacket I had. And um, so they tore the ceilings, the, their drop ceilings. So in the basement, they tore them out. They did about ten thousand dollars. Well, back then, you know, it was back in the eighties, yeah, ten thousand dollars damage to my mom's house, and uh, you know, it's so amazing that uh, to this day that man is one of the closest people in my life. He was just, we, he, I just had the sixty first. My sixty-first birthday party was just a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he drove in from Sarasota, Florida, for it. So oh, he obviously <laughs> is forgiving me too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> now you know I'm so glad that you kicked out. You're doing so great. You're helping people get on their right path. And man, like I said, we can chop it up all day. And I would love to have you back sometime. Relive some of the, the wrestling moments. Tell us what you're doing now that the pandemic's starting to hopefully wind down and maybe this variant won't get out of control and you can get back out in front of the schools and, and the kids and the crowds and the adults. Um but mark thank you so much not only for being here today but for everything that you do and all the people that you've helped man shout out to you thank you so much
1: Derek I appreciate you having me on your your show and I'd love to come on again and share some more stories with you. God bless you my friend God bless your listeners. Thank you so much and, and please go to our website which is think pause which is P-O-Z- is in zebra think pause.org and uh invite me to come to your your child's school or, or your if you're a student at your school i'd love to come mm-hmm. out and uh and inspire you guys take I care we'll
0: do we'll do ladies and gentlemen that is mark merrow i'm diehard Derek gordon this is the midnight hustle podcast can you dig it we're out of here can you dig it yeah.